This is CX of M Radio, the voice of customer experience professionals. Welcome to the Delighted Customers Podcast. I'm your host, Mark Slayton, and I'm so glad you're here. I empower leaders to turn indifferent customers into loyal fans. I talk to guests with a wide range of expertise who share meaningful insights and wisdom. We give you practical tips and proven frameworks and share ways to help you delight your customers. My guest on today's show is Marbu Brown, and Marbu is a CX thought leader, a speaker, and an author. And recently, he wrote a book called The Blueprint for Customer Obsession. And in today, on today's episode, we're going to talk about the difference between customer obsession and customer-centric. We'll talk about the benefits of adopting customer obsession as a business strategy. And then we'll share some of the principles he reveals in his book. And we'll also get to this whole Southwest Airlines situation because he mentioned Southwest Airlines in his book. He had done research and that was before they had all these troubles around the holidays with tons of cancellations and real disruption. So we're going to talk about how and if they can recover from this and and what great companies do. Fascinating discussion. I think you'll enjoy it. Let's jump right in. Well, my guest today on the Delighted Customers podcast is Marbu Brown. Marbu is an accomplished customer experience executive with a track record of thought leadership and signature business results at some of the most iconic companies on the planet, including JP Morgan Chase, Amazon.com, Microsoft, Cisco. And as a CX leader, he has guided Chase's consumer bank to record performance in the JD Power Retail Banking Study. NPS and branch satisfaction. He is an author, a speaker, and a CX thought leader. And today I'm excited because we're going to get to dig into some of the findings that he's done through the research in his new book, Blueprint for Customer Obsession. So with that, let me welcome Marbu to the show. Mark, thank you. It's a pleasure to be with you. And I, I'm really looking forward to our conversation. Uh, hopefully, we can share a few nuggets that uh, people will be able to take and put to use like right away. Exactly. You know, hopefully these will, these will be some things that people can think about either uh, directly and direct application from what you share, but even conceptually about how they can apply it to their particular situation. Um, but uh, as uh, you probably know that most of us in the customer experience world came up to the mountain through different paths. And I'm interested in knowing how did you end up in customer experience? Well, look, to be quite frank, right out of graduate school, I uh, I got to work for a company. It's not one of the companies you named, actually. Um, it's it's a company called Bellcore. It was it was the Bell Labs of the baby bells. And um, <clears throat> the thing that we um, focused on was how to take the whole notion of measuring um, customer feedback and modernize it and really take it to a whole nother level, right? Mm. And uh, so early on, I got involved in that, um, uh, doing some research. I, I got to work with uh, some of the uh, the luminaries in the field, um, you know, uh, people like uh, Klaus Fornell, 
Um, I don't know if you you have heard of uh, Parsu and Leonard Berry um, uh, and Valerie Zeithamel had put together a model called Surfqual. And uh, so we we did, um, you know, work on this and actually came up with some some groundbreaking ideas, which we published. And, uh, you know, those works have been cited many, many uh, times uh, over. And uh, we even had like, um, you know, a whole issue of Market Research Magazine published by the American Marketing Association that was devoted. Um, basically, it, it was built around a paper that we had written and others have kind of responded to, right? Um, mm-hmm. So I've been in, uh, you know, the, the area for, for quite a while. And, you know, I, I love advocating on behalf of customers. Um, you know, as businesses get larger, sometimes they tend to forget that the customer is the lifeblood of the business, Right. 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 And uh, so, you know, I, I I've just had a passion around this and have continued to do this, um, you know, all of these years. Yeah. And you worked at some pretty impressive brands. So I, I know you've been around some really luminaries, as you mentioned earlier, and and did some pretty groundbreaking things in terms of research and, and digging into the nuts and bolts of, you know, via voice of the customer, et cetera. Um, and so, so you, you, you go through all of that experience and you decide to write a book. Um, so, so what was, you know, there are now a lot of uh, books written about customer experience and tons on customer service. What white space did you see for writing this book? Well, let me start off by saying that, you know, with somebody who has spent time around customer experience for as long as I have, I've seen all kinds of movements, right? But when I got to the point of customer obsession, there was something that was very different about this. And it took it to yet another level beyond, you know, all of the different movements that I had, um, you know, been a part of or had seen. And um, it was something that has been much talked about, but not really well understood. And so um, that was the white space that I was uh, really trying to to step into. And first of all, get people to have a very clear understanding of what differentiates customer obsession from, you know, customer centric or customer focused. What, what, What makes it different? Right. And then what are the benefits of that? Because there are very clear benefits. Right. And then, um, you know, if you, if you decide you want to go to the obsession level, what do you have to do to get there? Right. And so I I don't think um, any of those things were really well articulated, um, you know, in the literature that was already out there. And wow. Let me tell you, there are, are are big benefits and opportunities to be gained by adopting customer obsession as a business culture, as a business strategy. And uh, so I, I want to give people that opportunity. Well, okay. And that, that's got to uh, be interesting, and particularly um, as you think about going from customer centric, which people people often use words like customer obsession and customer centric or, you know, of customer focused synonymously, but they're really not right. There's a difference they're between not. the level of commitment. So talk a little bit about they're not. what what the difference is for the listeners. So I think the easy way to, to, to get a handle on this is to get some examples. Yeah. So I'm reminded of, um, 
I'm reminded of a customer who uh, came to Costco in January with a Christmas tree that was dead and, and, and wanted to return it because it was dead in January. Okay. <laughs> and, and, uh, and they took it back right now, you know, it's like you, you, you hear that and you say, who does that? <laughs> right. And, and right. there's two who does that questions. One who does that is who brings a tree back Christmas tree back in January and say it's dead and expects to get a refund. But the other who does that is who takes the, the Christmas tree back and gives a refund. Okay. Mm -hmm. And so the thing about um, customer obsessed companies is if, if I start going through them, they all have some kind of extreme thing that they, they tend to do that makes their competitors scratch their head and say, I wouldn't do that. Right. And when you, when you, you see those extreme things, they don't necessarily on the surface make economic sense, right? Right. Um, I mean, like most companies think of, of um, returns as something that they manage meticulously, they minimize it. Um, you know, they're doing everything to make that as small as possible. Mm -hmm. And then some people would look at Costco's return policy and say, that's an invitation to abuse. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It doesn't seem to be a drag on their financials, right? Their financials, I mean, they, they beat their competitors in the industry, you know, every which way, right? I mean, they have more than 100 million people that pay for the right to shop there, mm -hmm. right? right? Okay. And, and uh, you know, I mean, if you look at the size of, of um, you know, what people spend, the size of the spend on a typical Costco trip versus their competitors' trips. I mean, Costco's anywhere from, you know, one and a half to two, two and a half times what, what people spend in their, in, in their competitors on, on a typical trip. So, hmm. you know, it's, um, that's the kind of thing that, that, that you would see, um, you know, with uh, these companies, these types of extreme um, customer, it's a customer-centric policy, but it's at a different level than what you would see with their competitors, right? Yeah, yeah, and and um, and I know in in the book you you go through early on and you delineate the difference between you know the good companies and the great companies in terms of customer obsession and some of the financial impact. You just talk about the shopping basket, you know, the average size of the shopping basket at Costco versus mm -hmm. other. Um, and that those numbers, like you use the illustration of Chick-fil-A, who's closed one seventh of the week. Um, right. Yeah. Well, I mean, they're, they're, they, they operate six days. Yeah. Their competitors operate seven days. Right. Yet on a per restaurant basis. So they're, they're number three overall, but on a per restaurant basis, they're number one in revenue. And it takes revenue from one McDonald's, one Starbucks, and mm. one Subway combined mm. to equal the revenue of one Chick-fil-A. Right. So, I mean, you know, the, the, the financials when it comes to these companies, um, it, it, it really is something because they're they outperform in their industries. And if you look across industries, even you, you'll see, hey, you know, the way they perform is like it's an outlier for all practical purposes. Right. Mm -hmm. um, so, look, 
you know, the, the period that we're going through now in the economy is a difficult period. And so even some of the customer-obsessed companies are having some challenges. But let me tell you, if I had to make bets on, on companies um, over the long haul, I'm still betting on the customer-obsessed companies because over the long haul, they have just typically outperformed their peers by far. Yeah. And 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 we're going to talk about one of those companies uh, that you mentioned in the book as well in terms of the long haul because they're going through some struggles right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, but before we do that, I, I want to, to also talk about this concept, this this idea of of bringing customer obsession into the culture, um, kind of embedding customer experience, customer obsession into the culture of an organization. And, and you wrote in the book that perhaps uh, the part of the value chain where it is most evident is in servicing. Every company yeah. has great people and stories about employees going the extra mile to create memorable moments for their customers. The difference with customer-obsessed companies is that this type of behavior tends to be the rule instead of the exception. Can you can you say more about this? Well, so absolutely. And you know, it occurs to me, we, we've been talking about the book, but we never named the book. Yeah. So maybe we, we, should, we should take a minute and just say, hey, the book is called Blueprint for Customer Obsession. Thank you. Right. And uh, so uh, just so people know, you know, uh, the, the book that we're talking about. Right. But look, um, I, you know, there's an illustration that I like to to give people, and I'll use something outside of the norm for a minute, and then I'll come back to um, your specific question. Look, when um, when when the president, um, you know, lands on the White House lawn in Marine One, right? Mm-hmm. There's always a Marine standing at the bottom of the stairs when the president gets off the plane and walks down. And that Marine salutes the president, right? Mm-hmm. And I don't care what happened that day. That that person might have had a flat tire on the way to the White House. They might have had an argument with their spouse. You know, there might have been all kinds of chaos traffic. It doesn't matter. When when that person walks, when the president walks down the stairs, that Marine gives the smartest salute ever, right? Now, let me take another example. You know, when you go to Disney, every every all the people who are working are cast members. Okay. Now, some cast members are dressed just like you and I are dressed right now, but some cast members are actually de- dressed like Disney characters. Hmm. All right. Now, you know, the, the the crew member that's dressed like Mickey, you know, if some kid throws up on uh on that character. A character never comes out, you know, and, and gets out of character and says like, oh, crap, you know, like or or, or stuff like that. Right. Mm-hmm, I mean, mm-hmm. you know, there's still always in character. Right. Mm-hmm. And so the thing about it is, you know, if you if you go and you you, um, you know, uh, visit these different establishments or whatever, what they shoot for is a super consistent in a, a memorable experience when you get in there. And so if you're at a Chick-fil-A and you thank somebody for doing something and they come back and say, my pleasure, you know, that's that's consistent. Like wherever you go to Chick-fil-A, in fact, it's so consistent. Sometimes when people hear, they go to another establishment 
and, and they hear somebody say my pleasure, they wonder, are you Chick-fil-A trained or something? You know, mm-hmm. and, and and the funny thing is Chick-fil-A actually borrowed that from somebody else, right? Mm-hmm. You know, um, so, but you have this kind of, of consistency, um, you know, that, that happens across the board. Um, and, and part of the reason for that is that these companies, um, they are super selective in how they hire, how they onboard their people, how they, you know, embed them with the culture, right? Mm-hmm. And, and so they're able to deliver these types of experiences consistently, right? And so, you know, like <clears throat> um, if you take a company like Zappos, when when people interview, they ask them a question like, um, you know, on a scale of one to 10, how weird are you? Because one of their, their values had, has to do with being being a little weird, right? Uh-huh. And, 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 you know, um, so they hire people to a certain, you know, type of personality and those kinds of things. And then they turn them loose to be themselves, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, so, you know, this is why those folks are able to, um, they're, they're able to deliver these kinds of wow experiences, right? Mm-hmm. I'll give you an example. So, um, you know, a, a customer um, got a hold of Zappos and she had had some, some um, you know, uh, health issues. Um, and, and she actually, she was expecting it. And so she was having trouble with shoes fitting her, you know, things along those lines. And, and she spoke to a customer service associate and she mentioned that in passing. Well, you know, she was very surprised later on to receive a package that included, you know, um, baby clothes, you know, uh, <laughs> um, you know, um, and she said that in passing, but but the customer service associate picked it up hmm. and acted on it. Now, that kind of thing is not uncommon you know, for, for, for Zappos associates. Right. I mean, if I took the time, I could probably give you 10 examples like that. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, and and so uh, this is the kind of thing where you see this kind of consistency um, and it's embedded in the culture. Yeah. So, so what I hear you saying is uh, because uh, you know, they, they talked about delivering happiness at at Zappos and Tony Shea, um, you know, he lived eat and breathed, uh, delivering happiness and encouraged it. And, th- and that's the, the idea there is rewarding the employees, whether they, whether they're on the front line or not to, um, to remember that everybody's their customer, right? Every, their customer is everybody owns the customer, right? And, right. and, and they have the freedom to think first about how they can best serve that customer. Yeah, well, look, um, Ritz-Carlton has even kind of codified it into something they call radar on antenna up, right? Mm. And, and so, um, and, and not only do they use that phrase, they practice it, right? So, you know, they have their daily um, huddles two, three times a day. And, um, you know, they they go through examples of what it means to to recognize unexpressed needs, right? And they they practice it. And so so folks get good at it. And so, you know, you you have a situation where um, you know, a young lady comes into to the hotel. Um, you know, she loves dance. Somebody picks up on that. 
um, offers to give her dance lessons because they're also good at dance. Mm-hmm. And um, then by the end of the week, arranges a dance recital, um, you know, for her parents to come and see the, the dance re- recital, do a recording of it and give it to her when she's going home. That's the kind of thing that, you know, Ritz Carlton, um, <clears throat> you know, associates are expected to do, you know, or or someone mentions how, you know, they 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 love Christmas trees and they they, you know, had seen um you know, Christmas trees and other Ritz Carlton. And the next year she goes to a Ritz Carlton around Christmas time. And, and in her room are pictures of Ritz Carlton Christmas trees from Ritz Carlton's all over the world. Right. You know, and mm. so, 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 so they just, you know, their radar is on and their antenna is up, you know, as to how can I meet this customer's unexpressed needs right and they're mm. practiced at it so they can they can deliver these wild moments with amazing consistency hmm. oh that that is um, a great lesson for people and and again you're talking about companies that have financial performance to prove that ultimately you know putting the customer first and, and not just putting the customer first and not even just exceeding expectations but trying to create this memorable experience that wows the customer that's way beyond just meeting expectations experience well yeah and and um uh, you mentioned operational excellence and and the importance of of um getting that piece right one one of the companies that is in your book that um i, w- I want to touch on here in fact Southwest Airlines has been in a lot of business books over over the last 20 years because they have um, outperformed their peers for the most part. And uh, we are recording this uh, early on into 2023. And Southwest is still digging out of a hole that they that it was a, um, a failure really operationally, where they just had to cancel a whole slew of fight flights hundreds and hundreds and maybe even thousands of flights and uh, lots and lots of disgruntled passengers and uh, and employees uh, of the of the organization they had spent decades building up the credibility of of their organization i want to talk a little bit about southwest because um, i want to get your opinion of where they're going to land from here um, because um, they have they have had very loyal customers, I being one of them. Because we we live, we have uh, used BWI as our airport, Baltimore, Washington, as our airport, and we live in that general area. And um, literally, Southwest has half that airport's footprint, <laughs> half. Uh, the and, and and the other part is mostly international, and then there's a little bit of United, Delta, American, et cetera. So they literally, physically, if you haven't been to BWI, they own half that airport. So you know, if you fly out of there, you're going to use Southwest most of the time. Now people are starting to ask the question: What happened? And um, I, I know I read I read a um, a long on LinkedIn. Someone posted a, a blog or an article of an employee of Southwest who had been there decades, who talked about the difference in leadership between Herb Kelleher and Gary Kelly. Who Kelleher was an operational person um, and got down to the ground level uh, in in the front lines, and Kelly 
who had led a very successful run uh, at Southwest was more of a CPA accounting type and had a CPA accounting type as his COO. So uh, this person, whether they're, whether it's true or not, uh, blames the lack of attention and that this wasn't a six-day thing. This was 20 years in the making that just ended up imploding with the levels of volume that came in the, the winter of 2022 slash 2023. So that long-winded, I'm curious to see, since you wrote about them um, as a customer-obsessed company and the blueprint for a customer obsession um, what what do you think? What do you make of this? And what do you think? How do you think they're going to come out of this? Well, look, uh, let me tell you that having the type of culture that uh, Southwest has had, and and the kind of commitment to their customers and to their employees that they have had, um, I'm optimistic that they're going to do some very good things to get out of this. But it's not going to be easy, and it's going to be a very long road. You know, a couple of things I'll say is this: number one. You know, um, on on a in a different interview, somebody asked me, "What's after customer obsession?" And my answer was, "More obsession." Okay, hmm. and, and and the reason why is because, in fact, in the book, we we have a chapter that that talks about the whole notion that customer obsession is 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 a journey; it's not a destination, right? And, and so, um, mm-hmm. you know. This is one of those things where you can never let your guard down. All right. And apparently, somewhere along the way, Southwest Airlines let its guard down. Right. Now, look, there, there's a lot to unpack here. And I, I don't think that we fully understand everything that that led to this implosion because it was an implosion uh, uh, very much. Um, so there's still things to be learned, but but you know somewhere along the way they let their guard down. And I'm going to give you a couple of principles that we have in the book that um, are really pertinent here. Look, uh, you know one of the the hallmarks of customer obsessed companies is that they deliver exceptionally. Now, when it gets right down to it, over the years, Southwest has had a reputation for delivering exceptionally. Part of that means that you have a reason for being. People come to you for that reason for being, right? And when they do, you deliver in that moment and you deliver exceptional. And that's pretty much been their reputation. The problem is you also have to innovate relentlessly, right? And it seems that while they were delivering exceptionally, they were not also innovating relentlessly so that in the scenario where you have one of these types of disruptions, right, um, they were not able uh, to respond. Types of disruptions, yeah. right? One, one of the um, things, uh, I'd like to get your, your feedback on this, but one of the things I, I feel like I've learned over the years when it comes to customer experience is that cus- great customer experience can't always overcome bad business decisions, right? So if you if you have, you know, the, all the things that the resources, the systems, the technology that are used to support and deliver outstanding customer experience, um, if they don't get tended to, you have a blow up like this. 
if someone does an acquisition of unequally yoked companies uh, with different cultures mm-hmm. or the organizational readiness is not in place. We mentioned one of those in yeah. the book. Um, then, you know, CX, CX is not, is not, it can't fix some of these things because these are major risks. There are operational risks that my guess, and, and from this article that I, that I read, people were, you know, beating that drum. And I don't know if it was complacency. Hey, our numbers are great. We continue to grow, you know, sit down and be quiet. Mr. Mr. IT person complaining about that. Our technology isn't up to snuff or something else, but, I, I wonder what you think about this idea that um, good, good CX um, can't always overcome bad business decisions. Well, you know, again, if, if we come back to the notion that customer obsession is a culture, yeah, right, then um, that culture should be driving. So I, I, so I don't think about it so much as good CX overcoming um, bad business yeah. decisions because um, if you're working backwards from the customer, yeah. then your business decisions should be driving you to make investments that are in the customer's favor. Even when you can't always connect the dots to your own financial benefit. And the reason why is because um the companies that have embraced that way of doing business have always found that it pans out in the mm-hmm. end. It's kind of like the Costco example that we gave earlier, where we said, um, you know, the the extreme return policy does not hurt their bottom line. Yeah. Right. Okay. It helps to improve it, actually. Yeah. Right. So um so when I when I think about it from that perspective, it's a culture. I'm I'm trying to think what what went wrong even in the culture, because um, you know um, from what I know, not just um, you know looking at research for the book, but you know engaging with with Southwest Airlines and, and their employees itself, um, you know there's a culture of listening to employees. So the question is. Where did that go wrong? Right? Um, you know, what what didn't get um heard the way it should have been heard? Um, because you know, um, this is one of the, the things that's super important about these companies. They listen to their customers and they listen to their employees. Yeah. Um, let me tell you, there, there's so many things in, in the Southwest um culture that all of this is antithetical to. I mean, there's there's people who are part of the union that do things on volunteer time. Mm. I mean, oh, to, your, to your point, one of our kids was was visiting us and um, we were going to end our, our holiday vacation in New York City watching a musical and they were going to fly out of, uh, I think, LaGuardia. And mm-hmm. a couple of days before they checked on their flight, their flight was canceled. All the other flights were canceled. They couldn't get one till like the 3rd of January. And uh, even that was tenuous. So they ended up renting a car and driving back to Florida. You know, and I'm sure uh, each state that they went through, they they were thinking about Southwest. Um, and there, you know, and there are people who have stories like that where, you know, maybe they, they couldn't get to visit relatives uh, because of what happened. Yeah. You know, so so they're going to have to make overtures. Yeah. 
they're they're going to have to come back and um, help me- people make memories that are going to enable them to forget the battle. Yeah, yeah. Well, well said. Well said. Well, well. Why don't we hit this last topic, uh, which you write about uh, so eloquently in the book called "Connect Emotionally," because that's what we're really talking about here. And say more about what the best companies do and how customer experience leaders, uh, what what they can do to help their organizations lead by connecting emotionally. Well, look, um, let me tell you that uh, just as we've been talking about, um, we we know that, first of all, one of the places where companies can connect emotionally is to, to... do the right thing to make something right when things go when things go wrong yeah. right that's that's one of the areas that um you know um companies can really um connect emotionally and then um you know on the other hand companies can can really connect emotionally when they connect with um what what I call the principles of wow mm. right and, and and they can use the principles of wow to connect um, emotionally with customers. And so, like for example, when when a company does something for a customer um, before the customer would do it for themselves, hmm. okay, that would be an example of of connecting emotionally. And 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 you know you have those moments those moments that make memories. And so it makes me think of a couple of examples in the book. One of them actually um, is a Southwest example where, um, you know, this, this plane's on the runway, they're taxiing out to, uh, to go and the the plane gets called back um, to the, uh, the gate. And this lady is asked to get off the plane and she's wondering what happened. Right. So she gets to talk to the gate agent and the gate agent lets her know that her son has been in a car accident. And, um, and, and he's, he's been in a car accident in a different city in Denver and she needs to get there. Hmm. So now, you know, of course the first thought that comes to her mind is, so how do I get there? Well, before she can even figure that out, they've already booked her on a flight to Denver um, you know, they they have a you, you know have invited her to wait for that flight in a special waiting area. They've packed a lunch for her, so when she gets there, she has something to eat. Right? You know, I mean, like, um, and and you know, the the next day after she's there, they call to check on her and how her son is doing. Okay. Now, the the fact is, when you think about all the attention to detail. You know, and all the different pieces of that. That's like an unforgettable experience, yeah, right? Yeah. I mean, um, yeah. you know, pe- people are not going uh, to to forget that. Um, or and, and another one was where, you know, um, you have a passenger. They they plan their trip. They got to the airport two hours in advance. Then they get distracted. And they go off. Um, get something to eat and wind up missing their flight. Okay. And it's time sensitive because they're trying to get to Vegas to see a certain artist performing. It's a bucket list item for somebody who's, you know, in her eighties or something like Mm. that. And, and now they're thinking, my goodness, we just missed our chance. 
And then, you know, the gate agent says, you know, I'm going to give you a couple of my buddy passes and, and we'll get you on another flight mm-hmm. and, and you guys can can still get there. And, and, and so, you know, um, so you, you have those kinds of scenarios, um, you know, where, um, again, you, you think of the scenario there where, um, you know, it's 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 a life event. It's a moment. Right. And they stepped up in those moments and connected you know, emotionally uh, with those customers. Now, those two examples that I gave, none of them is the airline's fault, right? right. They just stepped in, um, you know, to 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 do something, um, you know, for for the customer, right? Yeah. Um, you know, to 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 do something, um, you know, for for the customer, yeah. right? moments in your business, wherever they can be in that customer journey, think about the cycle um, and and ask your employees to say, you know, what could we do if this should happen or if that should happen or where are the opportunities? Always be thinking about that. Number two is, and what you shared was in the the Ritz example, in the the Chick-fil-A example, in the Southwest example, they empower their employees to make it right when things go wrong. Absolutely. Right. And then and then the third thing, I don't want to I don't want to lose sight of this minor thing, that simple thing that you said that um, that Southwest did in that example, which was they followed up with the customer the next day or the day after. You know, that is something that is unexpected in this day and age, but means so much. It, it really says that we care about you not just your dollars. Exactly. Exactly. And, you know, look, there, there's a bunch of, of different examples of scenarios where it's like, you're not just somebody who rings the cash register, right? Yeah. You, you're, you're a person and we care about you as a person, not just right. somebody who rings up the cash register. Right. And, right. um, you know, so, like I said, um, connecting emotionally is about, um, you know, making things right when things go wrong. Um, but, but also it's about these, these wow moments and, and really, um, you know, using what, again, I, I call them the principles of wow. And I've, I've got several of them, um, you know, that, that are laid out in the book showing up for, for, your customers in their key life moments, you know, solving problems easier than expected, um, you know, um, doing something for the customer um, that the customer would have needed to do for themselves, but but you do it, you know, you take care of it before they do, um, you know, these are these are the kinds of things that create these these um, these wow moments for customers and, and well, create but- those emotional connections. Yeah. And uh, those are just really a good recipe for, you know, really outperforming and being customer obsessed. Um, I've so enjoyed talking to you. So many great gems that you've shared. The book is rich and full of them. And Mm -hmm. if you haven't got Blueprint for a Customer Obsession, highly recommend that you get it. One last question for you, or really two, but one last question for you is if you think about that person who could be a CEO of a, of a mid-sized company or a CX leader who's just starting out, mm-hmm. you know, of your decades in, in, in that world, 
what advice, what, what one thing would you say is an important piece of advice that you would give to them? Well, look, um, the thing that I would, would, um, say to them is to understand that if it's good for the customer, it's Mm. good for business, right? Mm. And sometimes even when you can't connect the dots right away to the financial benefit, Mm. remember that if it's good for customers right away to the financial benefit, I, I'd like to remember end, that if it's good for customers, people can get in touch with you, but I want to end with, with a prediction. Okay. And the prediction is, and I, I wonder where you stand on this, but my prediction is that uh, despite what's going on right now with Southwest airlines, that they will survive this um, and they will do the right thing because they do care about, they are obsessed with customers and they did make some really, really egregious mistakes and they will lose some customers. But I, I predict that the loyalty and the um, confidence that they've built in their customer base will help them survive this, as, assuming that they continue to use the, uh, the, the ideas that they had to get to where they are. Uh, and, and that is treating the customer right to uh, rebuild and restore the confidence. What, what do you think? Well, I think they will. I, I think that, um, you know, uh, the legacy Okay, you know, Herb Keller, her uh, legacy um, over that company um, is something that uh, they would they don't take lightly. They won't take lightly. And um, really, um, that legacy is, you know, a customer obsessed culture. They're going to go back to first principles. It's going to take them a bit to dig out from under it. But I'm in agreement with your prediction. Okay. Well, we'll see. We'll come back in a year and we'll see what happens. Absolutely. Uh, may take may take more than a year, but we'll see. Um, in the meantime, in less than a year, uh, if customers or customers, if people want to get a hold of you uh, for whatever they want to talk, they want to find out ways to do either hire you as a speaker, as a consultant, uh, just want to talk to you. What, what's the best way for them to get a hold of you? Well, look, they can come to customerobsession.net. Um, okay. .net. Okay, so let's make sure we got that uh, uh, piece uh, correct. But customerobsession.net, and, you know, they can just go there. Um, they'll they'll be able to get in touch with me. Um, all, all the contact information is there, and, um, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll be able to uh, circle back with them. So that's the, that's the easiest way to do it. Um, they can also connect with me on LinkedIn, um, you know, and... Uh, Hey, there, there's not many Marble Browns on LinkedIn, so it's pretty easy to find <laughs> me, right? <laughs> so, right, um, right. That, that would be another way to get a hold of me. All right. Well, Marbu, it has been uh, insightful and fun conversation. Got even gotten to some predicting here and just so much fun. And go get go get the book if uh, if you don't already have it. Thanks for being on the Flight of Customers podcast. Hey, thank you so much. And, uh, you know, I look forward to us uh, coming back and, and uh, checking out our predictions. There you go. All right. Thanks, Marbu. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the Delighted Customers Podcast. I'd like to ask you a favor. If you have enjoyed this episode or any of my other ones, hit subscribe or follow. I've got a lot of other great guests that are coming up and a lot of other great content, and I don't want you to miss anything. You can find any links or references on the show 
in the show notes, and you can find those on my website at empoweredcx.com. Thanks for joining us for this session of CX of M Radio. Be sure to rate, review, and subscribe to the show and visit cxofm.org for more resources. Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member? For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details.